Okay, well, we're in this amazing series on hope. And uh, week one, we looked at why hope is important, how it changes the way that we, we live right now. Um, and then last week, we looked at um, a hope of a renewed kind of whole, whole uh, solar system. Everything will be renewed um, when Jesus returns. And this week, we're looking at hope um, for human beings, hope of human beings restored. Okay, so that's where we're at. So um, when I was growing up, not many people know this about me. I've tried not to tell people, but I've got to confess up that... Um, I had horses. <laughs> and and uh, this, I couldn't find a picture of my first pony, but this is pretty much what he looked like. Um, his name was Snowy, voila. And um, he was very fat, incredibly fat, and incredibly lazy. And I looked like one of those farewell pictures where my legs were sticking out, and I'd spend the whole time like whacking his sides to absolute exhaustion to try to make this pony just to even move into some kind of trot before he tried to eat something again. Anyway, my mum got hold of this pony <laughs> and uh, she's got like a big thoroughbred horse and every day she'd take it out on the lead and so she, she would basically, you know, get it fit for me and uh, she decided that she would, she would, uh, she would uh, shave this horse, you know how they do when they clip them and um, she fed it corn and um, it, it turned into this prancing pony. It was amazing. And I was so excited. I thought, finally, freedom has come my way. I don't have to do all this Ugh, anymore. I'm just going to fly along and gallop along verges and through fields. Well, that's what I thought. Until one day, this pony tasted real freedom because we got into a field that had just been cut for corn. And uh, there it is, stubble. And it's open expanse before this small pony. And this pony just went for it. I was absolutely terrified. My mum laughed so hard because she said she could hardly see this pony's feet moving. They were going so fast. It was like literally a blur. Um, And on that day, I I learned two things. One thing, I learned that horse riding was absolutely awesome. I had never felt so exhilarated and so excited and beyond myself ever in my life. But the second thing I learned was it was if I was going to really enjoy this, I needed to learn how to stop this horse. Um, And when we live on planet Earth, we have this kind of sense that it's meant to be really exciting, aren't we? I think we often find people that are thrill-seekers, aren't they? They want to jump off bridges and stuff. That kind of feeling, that rush of excitement and joy. And we kind of pursue these highs, these things that will not only just make us happy, but kind of send us into this euphorious state. But the problem with these is, Often uh, they, can, they can leave us feeling a bit empty. Sometimes we try stuff and it's just not hitting the spot anymore. But sometimes it can also do completely the opposite. Instead of making us feel free, we feel very trapped. We become addicted. Um, and that's not just substances, but we can become addicted to sport or hobbies or people or patterns of behavior that we keep doing even though we want to stop doing them, but they keep sort of feeding into this need to, to find this place of exuberance. We find that it's impossible to stop. And even if we stop for a while, and we get quite smug with ourselves, maybe in the new year, <laughs> 
it doesn't take very much for us to slip back to that old pattern, that way of behaviour. Something goes wrong and we don't quite know what to do at that point, so we go back to where we just felt so smug that we had said we'll never go back to. In Mark's Gospel, Jesus encounters a man who is, couldn't be more out of control He just is so far beyond that nobody knows what to do with him. Um, He couldn't be trapped physically, as we'll read in the story, but he was certainly trapped inside a body and a mind that he hated. And I don't know if anyone can identify with that. You're probably going to find, when you read it, think, I can't. But actually, he's got quite a lot of similarities to us. So we're going to look at Mark chapter 5. We won't read all of it, but um, we'll read some of it. Oh, there's me on my pony. (laughs) I'll leave that up for you. (laughs) So, Mark chapter 5 and verse 1. I'm not going to read it all, but I'll read most of it, so I'll skip at some point. So, this is Jesus, and... um, It says, they went across the lake, as the disciples, to a region of the Gerasians. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been chained hands and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. When Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. And then we jump down to verse 15. We, uh, after Jesus heals him, we read, When they came, that's the villagers, the people who lived close by, came to Jesus. They saw the man who had been possessed by a legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And so you can rest that for a bit. But when we read this story, we can really feel the tragedy of this man's life. He is completely out of control. We, d- we don't know the full details, but we do know that this man was at least a danger to himself. And that the people he'd grown up with, we can imagine his friends, his family, maybe even his parents, had chained him to try to control him. They chained his wrists and they'd put irons on his feet. They were so desperate to to hold him, to stop him doing what he was doing. But their desperation was nothing compared to his as he tore the chains off in an attempt to be free. But like anything, when we try and be free from something, we often find that even though we can remove ourselves from the situation those same chains follow us to the new place. So in the case of this man, even though he was free physically, mentally, and physically, he's still very chained. 
We read that he's self-harming himself. We read that he's crying out day and night. He's so desperate. We read that he's living amongst the tombs. He's living amongst dead people. Perhaps he feels more at home there, or he's so desperate to be with them that that's the only home he can find. And today, you know, if we were looking at this man in a a psychiatric way, we might... um, give him all sorts of, you know, gentle therapy and some drugs to try and help his mind and things like that. We wouldn't be chaining him up. And all that we might offer, we might look and treat this, treat this man the best that we can. But Jesus offered him something so much more. He offers him complete freedom. And he does it in an instant. When we read about the man, once he's been healed by Jesus... He is sitting as naturally as you and I are right now. I can imagine him with a small cup of uh, Arabic coffee in one hand, and he's got uh, some lovely flat bread in the other. And more important, he's in his right mind. And when the people who know him come, you'd imagine that they would be ecstatic about what they find, that this man has been healed But quite the opposite. They ask Jesus to leave. They don't want him. Now, we might have experienced something similar ourselves. Maybe we've come to know Jesus or we've been healed from something. But surprisingly, people around us don't want to hear that. They're like, put up a barrier. Actually, just stop talking about God. I don't want to know. Have you ever experienced that? I know know that I have. And it's really hard when that's loved ones. You can imagine this man, his parents, his brothers, his sisters, his aunt and uncles appearing. And the man that's just healed him, Jesus standing there, and he's like, this man has healed me. And they, instead of saying, Jesus, thank you, come into my house, they're actually asking Jesus to leave. Actually, we don't want what you've got. It just seems insane, doesn't it? And yet, we know that our friends and family often do that. So what Christ has done and what he's doing and what he will do for those who choose to accept Jesus, that's what we're going to think about this morning. What is the certain hope that we are looking forward to? When Jesus walks into our graveyard where we are currently hiding, what do we fully expect him to do? Because remember, The hope in the Bible is certainty, the certainty of the hope. We know that God is going to do it. The gospel is really simple. Imagine you're here and you're wearing a coat and the coat is covered in, um, I was going to get a coat this morning actually and roll it in my guinea pig poo, but I didn't. But imagine it's been rolled in that and it's been in the mud and you've chucked some food down it and there's a bit of blood on the back and you've been living in a car park for a bit. And uh, Jesus comes to you and he says, I'm going to clean you up. Okay, so he gives you a new coat, and it's actually his. This is a new coat. I've not worn it yet for Christmas. Very nice. It's got its label on. And so you put on this new coat. You think, hmm, looking pretty good. Looking pretty good now. Thank you. Do you like my new coat? <laughs> now, we can get a bit smug about that, because our friends don't have a new coat. 
Why don't they have a new coat? I've got a new coat. I'm looking pretty good now. Everything's going well for me. And we can look at other people who also have new coats, but their coats are looking a bit dirty now. Because as we go along, we get bits of dirt on it still, and we just sort of brush it off a bit, brush it off a bit, I'm okay. But one thing that stops us doing that is looking at Jesus. Because Jesus is not stood here with another new coat on, but he is wearing our coat. So when we look at it, we're reminded that he gave me his coat and I gave him mine. That's the basic gospel, isn't it? The great exchange. That's a simple way of putting it. When we choose to believe that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross in our place, he rose from the dead, it's like taking our stinking coat off and putting on, as the Bible says, his royal robes. When God looks at us, he doesn't see stinking Lou anymore. He says, perfect, Lou. (laughs) That's nice. (laughs) And we know it's nothing we've done. Any time we think, hey, I'm looking good, we can just look at the cross and we know that he is wearing our stinking robes. But despite our new robes, we still smell a bit now. (laughs) We're not there yet. Here's a verse that perfectly expresses what I just said. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But we still sin. James tells us we all stumble. John tells us if we claim to be out without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We, looking in the mirror and thinking of those robes belong to us, don't get me wrong, Jesus has given you new clothes and he will never take them away. We will appear before him shining, pure and right, reflecting his glory. And this hope is certain It will happen. You are wearing those robes. But in the meantime, we are still here. And the transformation is not as quick. And it's certainly not quick for me, like that man who was plagued. He was instant. But mine isn't instant. It's taking years of hard work. But one promise we can all cling to is this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. No matter how stinking we feel today, no matter how much we've messed about and rolled once again in the mud, no matter how much we drop food down ourselves again this morning, Jesus will carry it on to completion. I am not done yet. You have to bear with me as I bear with you. Jesus is working it out in his time. Let's look at this. 2 Corinthians 5 says, God made, oh, I've done that, sorry. 2 Corinthians 3, 15 to 18. If you want to look it up, you can, or it's there on the screen. So this is talking about what happens when you turn to Jesus. What happens when you become a Christian? Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. 
Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is spirit. We'll come back to that in a minute. 1 Corinthians 4.16 says, Though outwardly we are wasting away, we know that, we're, we're getting old, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. When we turn to the Lord, it is like, um, it's like you've been in a room living there for a while and you finally realize there's a window and there's a blind and it's a blackout blind. And when you let the blind go up, it's morning and the sun is blasting in from the window to the point that you are almost blind. But suddenly, you can actually see what was in the room. You didn't even realize there was stuff in that room before. You just kept falling over stuff. But you just thought, oh, I don't know what that is. But now, you can see. And you wonder to yourself, how could I have lived so long in this darkened room without knowing there was a window? Well, the point is, we just don't, do we? Unless Jesus shows us, we have no idea that the window is there. Once that blind is up, though, there's no going back. You've tasted his goodness. You start to see that actually you're living in a pit of rubbish, and you've got to start clearing it up. You've got to start saying, Jesus, help me. I didn't even know there was some leftover pizza in this corner. (laughs) and that transformation happens when the Holy Spirit comes in that's like the blinds gone up and that ray of sun is the Holy Spirit zooming in Ephesians tells us and you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth so when we hear it the gospel of salvation when you believed you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit. And what are we being transformed into? We're like this little squidgy fat caterpillar. It's perfect, isn't it? And he's ugly as anything and no one wants to touch him. And then we're transformed into this beautiful, radiant butterfly that everyone can't stop taking pictures of and gazing at. Go back to 2 Corinthians 3, 15 to 18. Verse 18 tells us, what are we being transformed into? His image. In the Old Testament, Moses, <clears throat> this is what it's referring to, when he would go and speak to God, I'll just use this again, he would go into the holiest places and it says he would speak to God face to face. And when he came out, I'll just borrow this a minute, sorry about this. <laughs> He'd have to come out with a veil on his face because his face was radiant. It was like brilliant sunlight that you can't even look at. You just blinded. People were terrified of him because he'd seen God face to face. 
When we see it, we're just drawn to our knees because we can't cope with his glory and his beauty. But those that don't want to know him are running to hide in the corner of our stinking room. And like Moses, when we gaze on Jesus, when we read his word, when we speak his truth, when we walk, when we begin to change, we start reflecting him. It's not about us. It's the spirit in us shining out and changing us. When we demonstrate any fruit of the spirit, when suddenly we find ourselves able to forgive that person we have never been able to forgive. Well, we didn't do that through hard work. That was the Spirit of God changing us. When suddenly we find that we're, we don't get, we just fly off the handle at the smallest thing anymore, but actually we can just cope with it. It's all right. We can appreciate that person. We look at them and we think, yeah, let me pray for you. I'm okay in this. That's the Holy Spirit transforming us. He's starting to break some of our chains to allow us to stop doing stuff we don't want to do and to start doing stuff we do. But just because Jesus had promised that he does, he'll do it doesn't mean he's going to do it instantly. Goodness knows, I've asked him enough to change me on certain issues. In fact, sometimes I get really furious with him. Why haven't you changed this? This is driving me mental. I want to be different. I want to change. I want to live differently. I don't want to feel like that anymore. I don't want to be like that anymore. But I've come to this place of realizing that God will do it in his time. And at those points, we have to hold on that God is loving. God is kind. And if he wants to leave me battling right now, then that's fine. Because I know, Romans 8, 28, and it's everyone's favorite verse, isn't it? I know that he works in all things for the good of those who love him and have called according to his purpose. And if this is going to be better for me in the long run, or if I'm going to be able to help others by testifying about this and knowing that experience, then that is okay. But there's one thing I refuse to do, and this is what all of us should refuse to do, is to accept that where you are now is ultimately what God wants for you forever. Because that is a lie. He has good things for us. My body might be wasting away. My mind might be slightly crazy or quite a bit crazy quite a lot of the time. My emotions might be completely erratic and I don't know what to do with them. But I will cling on to the hope that he that began a good work in me will carry it on to completion. And I might be groaning, as it says in Romans, is that up there? We ourselves who are the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship and the redemption of our bodies. We need to be eagerly waiting and clinging on to the hope that Jesus has put before us. He does not want you to stay where you are. It's not about accepting and saying, oh, 
well, heaven's coming. (laughs) Drag this along. He doesn't want that for you. And equally, he doesn't want us to be running to other people. He doesn't want my husband to be saving me or my friends or my family or even me to go, well, I just need to get it together, don't I? Stop whining. What are you so worried about? Just sort it out. Stop worrying. Have you ever tried that? <laughs> and worked, does it? Isaiah tells us, this is God speaking. I, even I, am the Lord. And apart from me, there is no saviour. So you might get temporary help from someone else. And believe me, get help from someone else. We are meant to. We are a body. And we're meant to love each other. That's one of our, um, it's one of our core values is that we love each other. Go and see a Christian counsellor. Do what you need to do. But never depend 100% on them. Because it's God who's going to work through them in your life. And if you're anything like me, you're going to wear out that person. You ever been here? You know, there's a friends and they're so nice and they listen to you and they listen to you. And then one day you phone them and they don't answer. It's not they don't like you anymore. They're just exhausted by what you keep giving them. You need to take it to Jesus, don't you? Well, I've been there anyway. <laughs> they run out of steam. They're just like, I can't do this anymore. Let's see what it says in Romans. 8, 26 to 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Can you picture that? You don't even know where to start on yourself. It's such a mess sometimes. Well, I don't. But the Spirit is interceding with groans on your behalf. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in order with the will of God. He knows our hearts too. Ask him to look. You know, we can sit there and pull the wool over quite a few people's eyes, including ourselves, to convince ourselves we're okay. But the Spirit of God knows our hearts, and he can show us exactly what's going on. He exposes And that's why healing and true freedom often comes with repentance. Because sometimes we just don't want to leave it. It's so much a part of who we are that we become comfortable in this misery. Well, this is okay, you know. So I can't walk, but that's fine. You know, not not physically, but mentally. You know, or, oh, well, you know, I can't. I haven't left the house for five years. But, you know, it's okay. I'm comfortable here. Or even small things, like, like my, I give my own examples, anxiety, you know, it's just like, oh, it's okay, you know, it's just anxiety, you know, you just have to kind of live with it, don't you? Just live with it, it's all right, you know, it's okay, you just manage. But that's not the will of God, and I cannot stress this enough. God does not want us to live like that. And he might not do it instantly, but we have a promise that he will carry on to completion And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. We love that, don't we? But it doesn't mean that I'm having a rubbish time now, and so I will look back and it has all been okay, because now my life's perfect. But rather, what does it say? Verse 29, 
For God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God's will for us in this situation is not that our life looks now pretty, but rather we are changed. We are conformed into his image and his likeness. And that doesn't always sit comfortably with us, does it? We like the idea, wouldn't it be nice to be like Jesus? But I would like my life over here to be very easy now. And actually, no, that's not the promise we get. God's will is that we're changed, transformed, redeemed, restored to our intended self, reflecting his image and his glorious presence. 1 John 3, 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, what does it say? We shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. We will see him completely. And the more we see of who Jesus is, the more like him we become as we are transformed. One day we'll be truly free. Our bodies, our minds, our emotions will be the way they were meant to be, reflecting perfectly the image of Christ. But we're not going to leave it until that day and just sit down and go, it's okay. Christ has begun a good work. He has started something. He is doing a good work in you. Christ has begun and he will present us to himself perfect. We need to cry out to him, search my heart and mind like the psalmist did. Because actually I can't see what the problem is. And you might not show me for years, God, but I trust that you do not want this for me forever. And I am looking to you. I am crying out to you daily to show me the root of what you need to change in my life. And I just want to end by saying we never, ever lie down and give up. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but I can get this picture that I am in a prison cell. Okay, and and you're going to think I'm totally wacky now, but that's fine. Okay, so it might help somebody. Okay, here's the prison cell, and I am on it, and literally on my knees, cowering, because I cannot get up. I'm such a state. And I feel like there's a prison officer just standing, laughing. And you know, last year I um, went to the Hillsongs conference. I had a beautiful picture, (laughs) and it was just me getting up. And turning round and facing him, facing the devil, and saying, My God is coming for me. And I believe we need to do that. Stand up and say, My God is coming for me, and I will not cower in front of you anymore. He is the lion of Judah. There he is. And it says, no weapon turned against you will succeed. Nothing the devil can chuck at you. Nothing he can lay before you. No lies he can put in your mind. No emotions he can play with. No people he can put around you. Nothing will ultimately succeed. So let's pray.
Lord Jesus, blessed Saviour. We worship you, mighty God. We just want to gaze on your beauty for a moment. Lord Jesus, you give us beauty for ashes. Our unrighteousness for your righteousness. Thank you, Jesus, that we're yours. Nothing can ever, ever separate us again from you. By your spirit, we pray that you would create in each one of us a desire to gaze upon you more and more, to drink in your beauty, that we might be transformed. Lord Jesus, help us not to just be content to live with sin and live with mess in our lives, but to fight the good fight daily, crying out to you to come and be our rescuer, to change us, to use us, to make us more like you, more like your beauty. Amen.